Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL podcast. It is the Week 10 Friday show. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Joining me to break down all the games coming up this weekend is Chris Raybon, a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of I'll Take That Bets on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, you're looking pretty sharp there. Did you just get a haircut? I actually did. I got one uh, yesterday, I believe it was. Yeah, it's, uh, it's looking very smooth. Okay. Thank you. En- enough, enough being nice to you. Let's start off by looking back at week nine. You were four and two. I was three and three, which is pretty much the best I can hope for at this point. For the season, you are 26, 25 and two. I'm 23, 26 and four. Any takeaways for you from week nine? Uh, week nine, not too much. I think things are kind of starting to, to to go pretty standard. I mean, I, I don't I don't recall anything where I was just like, oh my god, like I was on the complete wrong side of of things. I think you know when we bet the Rams and the Saints line, I thought the value was still good, being that the Rams were underdogs. They ended up being favored and um, ended up losing the game. But if it was like a pick 'em, I would have still gone New Orleans. So I wasn't like up, too upset about that one. Yeah. Basically, the only thing I'm taking away from week nine is that I tend to be on the wrong side of everything except for Bucks overs. I'm, I'm hardcore <laughs> on, on the right side of, of that. <laughs> Basically, for the rest of the season, I'm just blindly hammering Bucks overs. That's, I mean, that's where we are. You've been, you've been pretty, you've been going hard on like the overs in general, whether it's been the, the, the totals or the, uh, the team totals lately. So, uh, yeah. Know. It it sometimes work at, works out. It, uh, it sometimes doesn't. Where where I am uh, really doing well is on the the props, the fantasy props, player props, things like that. So, and it's all because of the fantasy laps props tool. The NFL version of the tool is powered by our industry leading projections created by Sean Corner, aka the Odds Maker. This season, the NFL props with a bet quality of ten are one seventy four eighty six and six, good for a hit rate of sixty five percent. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs where you can get a five day trial for just fifteen ninety five. Chris, earlier this week you did the show, the Monday show with Ian Harditz. I did the Wednesday show with Peter Jennings and Odds Maker. Scott Barrett was the guest for that show. It was a good one. Everyone should give it a listen. We've got the Friday show. If you are enjoying the Action Network NFL podcast, please rate, interview the show, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. Game the system. Do us a favor. 
Okay, Chris, let's get into our opening first and five segment. We're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app, the games that have the five highest ticket counts. And let's start with the highest total game on the slate, the 7-1 and one Saints at the 5-3 and three Bengals. Saints favored by six, a 54-point over-under. The spread is up from 4.5. The total is down from 55.5. The Saints have won seven games in a row. They just beat the previously undefeated Rams. Of course, they also just signed Des Bryant to round out the receiving group, and the Bengals are coming off of the bye. Chris, what are your thoughts? In this game, I, I'm looking first at, obviously, the – Absence of A.J. Green, that's going to play a huge factor in this game and in betting this game. He was responsible for 40% of the Bengals' air yards. They ranked number four in the league in explosive pass rate, you know, entering this week. But without Green, now you're losing a player who ranked in the top five in receptions of 20 or more yards with 12. And so I think that's going to really change the complexion of this offense. And then you couple that with the fact that New Orleans is a top three run defense by DVOA. They allow the fewest yards per carry in the league at 3.4. This spells trouble for Cincinnati, even though they're at home and coming off a bye. I don't think they'll be nearly as explosive on offense. Their defense has not been good for most of the year. Uh, On the other side of the ball, you're looking at with their defense, they rank third worst in tackling grade from pro football focus. That is not an ideal situation when you're going up against Alvin Kamara. So for this game though I'm the line I don't necessarily like to mess with these lines that are between a field goal and a touchdown unless I have a really strong lean I do like the Saints in this game but because of Cincinnati's explosive or lack thereof of explosive pass plays and the fact that New Orleans can shut down the run as well I think Cincinnati either doesn't score nearly as much as they usually do or if they are scoring they're going to take much longer than usual to do it they're going to have to kind of dink and dunk it New Orleans is actually running the ball more than they're passing the ball since Mark Ingram came back. So I'm going with the under. I think this total is a little inflated after New Orleans put up some big numbers. Yeah, you know, actually, and now I'm looking at the Action Network app, and I see that this game has dropped, the spread has dropped to five and a half, which is a little more intriguing to me than the six. I'm going to stick with the pick. I'm going New Orleans over 30 on the team total. But I, I do actually feel comfortable at this point where I would take that at five and a half versus six. You know, I, I could see it being a six point game, which would give me the victory over the push. But you know, looking at things from the New Orleans side of the ball, they're going against a defense that is significantly injured at the linebacker position. Vontez Perfect is out. Nick Vigil is out. Well, I'm saying that they are out, but they both missed games. And then coming out of the bye, they didn't practice on Wednesday, which is pretty significant for for guys not to be able to practice on Wednesday coming out of the bye. So I'm assuming that it is likely they're going to miss. And that is a defense that already is weak against the run. I believe they're 27th in run DVOA. And then on top of that, they are weak in pass defense against running backs. 28th and pass defense against running backs in DVOA. So it's a it's a very good situation lining up for the running backs for the Saints. And with the Bengals missing AJ Green, I do have questions about the ability of the Bengals to sustain drives, which I think would give extra opportunities to the Saints. So I, you know, if I had to sort of like triangulate this in a perfect way, I would say like I think the Saints will go over their total. I could see the Bengals not hitting their total, and I could see the Saints winning by more than five and a half or or by more than six. That's the way I'm leaning on this, but I I will stick with what I originally put in the outline, the team total, Saints over 30. Let's go to the next game here. 
I think this is going to be an intriguing game. The four and four Falcons at the two, six and one Browns Falcons favored by five, a 51 point over under the spread is up from three and a half. The Falcons handily beat the Redskins last week as Julio Jones finally scored a touchdown. Attention, your attention, please. Julio Jones has caught an NFL touchdown pass. And the Browns, of course, were destroyed by the Chiefs. Where are you leaning in this game? Well, looking at this game, you know, from the Cleveland Browns perspective, they have to keep Duke Johnson involved. We know the Falcons continuously. That's just part of their scheme. They give up catches and catches on catches on catches on catches to running backs. League leading again in that category receptions to running backs this year would be the fourth year in a row. So I think, you know, the fact that Duke kind of reemerged is good news for them. I also think that Cleveland's not as good as their number two ranking in pass defense, DVOA. Uh, might suggest. So I don't think that's a big deal. I think the Falcons will keep on rolling in that aspect as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking that both teams are able to score. The Falcons still bottom three in DVOA on defense. They're 28th against the pass, 31 against the run. I think with the new coaching staff in place and, and you and, and uh, Todd Haley out of there, they're playing a little bit smarter ball on offense. So I do have confidence that they can exploit this uh, Atlanta defense. You know, Baker Mayfield, they're going to put him in more spread concepts, more shorter stuff, perhaps limit some of the sacks. He was taking a ton of sacks under the U Haley regime, but cut him down a little bit over these last couple of games. So for those reasons, I, I like this over under where it's at, at 51. I think it can go over whether it's because the Falcons put up a big number or because both teams do. If you look at all of the Cleveland games under Baker Mayfield, you had 87 points, then 21 points in a 12 to 9 game with the Ravens, which, you know, that, that happens. Then 52, 49, 51, 58. So that's an average of 53, even when you include that game against the Ravens. So I, I think there's a pretty good chance that this game hits the over as well. I'm with you on a lot of what you said, all of the reasons to be optimistic about what's happening for the Falcons offensively. They're going against a defense that I think you're right is overrated and then now especially is injured. EJ Gaines, corner. I mean, he's not that good to begin with, but he yeah. was starting for them and now he's on injured reserve. Christian Kirksey, linebackers on injured reserve. Jamie Collins didn't practice on Wednesday. He sat out with an ankle injury. Denzel Ward is the big one. He sat out Wednesday's practice with a hip injury. It's really uncertain as to what is going to happen with him. Joe Schobert should be returning probably, but he still is uncertain. So there's a lot of uncertainty there going on with the defense for the Browns. On the opposite side of that, you also have Atlanta, which potentially will be getting better on defense. Deion Jones, is he set to return? or like? No, nah, I think he's – so what's going on with him is he's practicing, but he's not on the active roster, so he won't appear on the injury report, but he can't return – uh, until the week after, next week is my you're understanding. You're right. You're right. Okay. So never mind on the the optimism I have <laughs> for the for the, the Falcons. Get over me. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm there. I'm there with uh, the Falcons going over their team total. I, I think I'd oh, be willing to probably. Of course. <laughs> uh, like 27 and a half is where it is right now. Like I'd be willing to probably take that to 30. I just don't have much respect for for the Browns. Let's go to this next game here. The four and four Cardinals at the two six and one Chiefs. Oh man, the Chiefs favored by 16 and a half, a 49.5 over under. The spread is down from 17 and a half. The total is down from 50. The Chiefs, you know, they're great. They have the highest scoring offense <laughs> in the league and the Cardinals have one of the worst. <laughs> Where are you going here? So this one was interesting, just more from, a, I think, a betting market perspective in terms of we have this game with a huge spread. The total, considering the spread, is actually not outrageous. 
especially for a Chiefs game. So I went and kind of looked it up of like, okay, given all the different potential outcomes, what's kind of the sharpest way to win in this game? So first I looked at all the games where a team wins by 17 or more points. And uh, I looked at it starting in 2015. So there was uh, 211 times where a team won by at least 17 points. They scored 34 points or more in 56% of those games. Now, I also looked at, okay, how many times does, you know, when a team wins by 17 or more, does both teams total combine for over 50 points or more, which would it would need to do to hit the total. And it turns out that it only happens 36% of the time. So it's a lot more likely that Kansas City is going, if, you, if you're on the side of Kansas City and you think that they're going to win and cover the spread, the bet here would be to take their team total. Much better, oh, much oh, better bet. The yeah. team total. Oh. <laughs> but, see, but see, I actually back my, my I did a, a extensive research before I cop out. Well, see, all and of, take all, these team all totals. Of, all right? of that is, my, is this is my first one. Into, all of that is factored into <laughs> what I'm doing. This, on. you know, I'm sort of like doing like the mental calculus of like, well, mm-hmm. I, I trust that this team will go uh-huh. over but I don't trust what's (laughs) happening defensively for them or what's happening on on the other side of the ball. I I feel you. I feel you. But um, yeah, no, but seriously. Yeah. So much better bet. um, If you're on the KC side, just take them with the team total here. And on the other side of of it, just looking at it from the perspective of, okay, what happens when teams are favored by this many points? So home favorites of 16 or more, I looked it up in Bet Labs. They're only 13, 17, and 2 since 2003. So they have not been profitable to wager on at that spot. If you extend it to just teams that are favored by more than a touchdown, so 14 and a half or more, 24, 28, and 2 since 2003. So that's kind of something to think about on the other side. And then just in general, when, when a team is favored this big, when a home team is favored by, uh, by 16 or more, the over is 17 and 14. So I think definitely uh, more trends kind of lean towards either taking the Chiefs team total or just taking the over in this game than it does to um, taking the Chiefs at this big of a number. So I am going to stick with my uh, stick with your, I should say, (laughs) over 33 and a half. I I don't love it, but, you know, that's kind of where the trends are. And I can't really see any reason for Kansas City. You know, I know Sammy Watkins is a little iffy. So, I mean, that's something Chris Conley just is invisible most of the time. When he's out there, but I mean, when you still have Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Kareem Hunt, I don't think losing Watkins hurts nearly as much as it would uh, for maybe another team. Yeah, I mean, 16 and a half, 17, 17 and a half, wherever this line ends up settling, like that is just a really big number. And I would prefer to stay away from it. At the same time, I don't really want to mess with the game total. Because, I mean, Kansas City, like, that is a significant home field advantage. They really limit opponents at Kansas City. And, and like, they've done it for years. They've done it in the Reed era. And it's something that's, like, extended, like, past the Reed era. Like, it's a real thing. Like, Kansas City unders. Like, that's normally where you want to go. That said, like, I don't want to bet the under in any game where Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback <laughs> exactly. and Andy Reid's calling plays for him. So that pretty clearly leads me to taking a big surprise, the over on, on Kansas City uh, with the team total there uh, right now, 33 and a half. The next game, I mean, it's hard to be too excited about any game that has the five and four Dolphins. They are playing at the three, four and one Packers. Packers favored by 10, a 47 and a half point over under. The spread is up from nine and a half. The Dolphins have Brock Osweiler quarterback and the Packers don't. What are your thoughts here? So this is another interesting one just because, uh, first of all, I guess we should, we should mention that, you know, 
the books had a really bad week last week. Uh, favorites kind of dominated. And so I think that might be part of the reason you're seeing all these larger lines in favor of the you know larger spreads this week um, yeah. and a lot of them increasing. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, that is usually a situation where you want to try to find some value on the underdogs in these spots. Now, I'm trying to find some value on these Dolphins. I mean, you know, 10-point underdogs on the road of 10 or more points have actually been profitable slightly to wager on since 2003. They are 215, 195, and 11. But, you know, it's not a a super strong trend. Uh, You know, Aaron Rodgers at the same time as a 10-point home favorite, 11 and 9 in his career, that's a 55% hit rate. If you extend the sample a little bit more to look at games when Rodgers is favored by more than a touchdown at home, so 7.5 or more. He's 21, 14, and 2, so that's a 66% cover rate. I lean towards the Packers kind of dominating in this spot, and a big reason for me is just I think that they'll have uh, an advantage in terms of being able to get some pressure on Osweiler. If you look at Pro Football Focus's O-line, D-line matchups and the pressure rate advantage for Green Bay, 43% their D-line versus Miami's O-line. That is the largest uh, advantage for any team playing this week. So I think I think it's a smash spot for Green Bay, even though Green Bay really hasn't uh, blown anyone out this year except Buffalo. Yeah, I'm with you there. A couple of things to note. There are some trends with Rodgers that have extended across his career. He's obviously, I mean, and, and like most quarterbacks here, he's better at home, he's better as a favorite, and he's better outside of division you know, playing against an mm-hmm. opponent that doesn't get to get used to him, playing against him two times a year. And he is on the right side of all of those splits in this matchup. And with Rodgers in that situation, non-divisional home favorites, the Packers are 25 and 17 in terms of hitting the over. I don't really feel all that confident about the spread here. Like if, if I had to choose a side, I would go with the Packers. But, I mean, 10 is a lot. I could easily see how there's, you know, like a defensive touchdown or, or like Jakeem Grant gets a special teams <laughs> touchdown or, you know what I mean? Like like something happens that is sort of like outside of the normal, you know, realm of play that we normally see to give the backdoor cover here. So, like, I don't really feel good about the spread. And honestly, and I don't really even feel all that great about the total either. But if I had to choose something, I would take over 47 and a half or or 48 kind of wherever this line settles that's the way that I would go but I don't really have this is like one of the games where I really don't have a strong lean on it either way I I don't know about you yeah no I kind of agree with you I was going back and forth on this one kind of the same feelings you have about the spread I have about the the total I mean I was looking at you know kind of a similar game to this Patriots Dolphins and it actually ended up 38 sevens and that so that's only 45 points I could see the Dolphins you know they just came off a game where they gave Frank Gore 20 carries which I believe was a season high you know I could see them uh trying to run the ball just to that might be a decade high for Frank Gore (laughs) I mean he's hanging in there man um but yeah so I you know I could see the the Dolphins kind of trying to a similar tactic just to ensure that Rodgers isn't on the field all day against them it's just one of these games where I can see the Packers winning also win 34 nothing or something like that. And that to me, just, I just feel like it's a little more likely than, I mean, it's just kind of just a weird total too, like 47 and a half. Like, ah, I could go either way, but I'm, I feel like I don't, I don't have a, a, a strong lean on this game either. So let's, yeah. Uh, let's, yeah, let's just go to the next well, one. Well, uh, while I am uh, on the over there, uh, 47% of the tickets, 79% of the money is on the under, according to the Action Network app there. Uh, okay, the last game to cover in our first and five segment, the three and five Lions at the five and three Bears. Bears favored by six and a half, a 44.5 over under 
The total is down from 46 and a half. It's the first of two games that these teams will play against each other over the next 14 days. The Lions have lost two games in a row and the Bears have won two in a row. What are you thinking? So 44 and a half, I love this number. I'm going under here. Uh, you know, if it gets to 44, that's a little more like, you know, it could go either way, but that extra little half point, especially in a game that it is projected to be, I believe, above 10 mile per hour wins. I think last week I was on the under in the Lions game as well. I just feel like at this point, this team isn't, it seems like it's an over team. You know, they, their defense doesn't look good on paper. They have Matthew Stafford. They have you know Jones and Gallaudet and and Carryon and all those guys. But Matthew Stafford really hasn't had a, a high ceiling as a, statistically this year as a quarterback. You know Golden Tate being out was twenty seven percent of of his targets. Um, he's gone. We saw him take the ten sacks last week against Minnesota. Going on the road here against the Bears defense that looks like they're going to get back uh, Khalil Mack and. It's just a game that I don't think there's going to be a ton of points. The Bears ended up going over their total last week, I believe. Was it last week? Yeah, 41-9. and nine. Was that last week or two? I forget when it was, but that was kind of more so um, them exploding. I, I don't think that they'll explode in this game. Detroit's defense is getting better. They have Ansa. Um, they have Snacks Harrison now. I just see another one of these kind of 24-7-ish to seven-ish type of situations transpiring I, I see it playing out really similarly to what happened the week before against Minnesota without probably without the 10 sacks because I'm sure they'll do things differently to, to just get the ball out of Stafford's hands more quickly but I don't think that necessarily means more points because you're still going against the defense that's top five in DVOA in the Chicago Bears yeah uh I hate this game just <laughs> from like an analytical perspective it's this is one that's kind of hard for me to look at I'm going with Detroit plus six and a half, but I don't really feel strong about it. But it it is correlated with everything that you talked about uh, and why you would take this game for the under. Uh, If this game goes to the under, then just fewer points and easier for the underdog to cover. That's basically why I'm doing it here. Two teams that are in division that know each other well, I'm going to take the one that's getting the more points there. Like, I, I think, like, if you had to make the line on this, where do you think it should be, the spread? I would probably put it more in like the Chicago five and a half to six range. Um, I think that's, I think that's a little more um, reasonable. I think just because of, you know, we always talk about the recency bias and when you have one team that's coming off a, a big or two blowouts in a row, and then you have another team that's coming off two disappointing losses in a row where they got blown out by double digits each time. I think you're going to kind of get an extra point, point and a half. So I think the sharp side from kind of the market-based, you know, contrarian, you know, bet against the public kind of profit when the lines are inflated play here would be uh, the Detroit line. So if I'm leaning on a side, I'm going Detroit. But like, I don't have a lot of confidence even given those factors that right. this is necessarily going to be that game where, you know, Detroit, like it's not the perfect time for it. Like not the Bears defense is not necessarily like the defense that you can, kind of get right against. And so I, I just feel a little more confident that with Detroit getting a little better, I think there's just a little more value to, to me anyway on the, on the total, just because I think people are still thinking of Detroit as like this horrible, horrible defense. But I mean, they, they held Minnesota relatively in check and just ended up playing a low scoring game. And a, they're not a very fast paced team either. So I just think a few more things kind of got me trending toward the, uh, the under in this one. Than yeah, the, I, I, I hear you there. Like think, and so I think you're right about where you would set the line. I don't think Chicago should be favored by like just three. I think they should be favored by more than that. But more than six feels like maybe a little bit too much. And I can see how this game could go under, uh, you know, two divisional opponents that know each other well. 
you know, but I could also see how this game goes over, you know, with Matthew Stafford as like the gunslinger and, you know, Nagy there is the head coach and maybe there's like a wild Mitch Trubisky game. It's like one of those games where he has 300 yards and four touchdowns. Like I could see both of those things happening. So I just that's why I'm I'm tending to go a little more to uh, Detroit's. Uh, I mean, side if the, Mitch Trubisky has if Mitch Trubisky has 310 yards and four touchdowns, then just take Chicago. At the well, six yeah, 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 I mean, if that's yeah, yeah. happening, I feel like Detroit doesn't stand a chance. Like, like I said, I mean, Mitch Trubisky's been the far better fantasy quarterback than Matthew Stafford this year. It's just for whatever reason, uh, this Lions offense hasn't quite performed. I think up to what, you know, what it's capable of or what we thought it could. And uh, getting rid of Golden Tate just does not help that. It's like Stafford has had two touchdowns in every game. The yardage just hasn't really been there. At least two touchdowns in six of, uh, in all but two of his games. But the yeah. yardage hasn't, you know, been there consistently. You know, he's had a 300 yard, a couple of 300 yard games. And then it's been, you know, like 183, 199. So, I mean, it's hard to, I shouldn't say he's like underperforming terribly, but he's sitting there kind of as like that fringe top 20 fantasy quarterback. Which right. I, He's 20th. Um, so that's, you know, that's way under expectation considering it's been such a, a an explosive passing year that, you know, even though his numbers, you know, don't sound bad on paper. I mean, you know, Joe Flacco and Case Keenum are all even Russell Wilson, Blake Bortles, you know, all outscoring Matthew Stafford. It's a interesting situation there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm still expecting not many points. We spent probably the most time talking about a game that neither one of us really <laughs> likes. Uh, okay. We have the two-minute drill next, right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend-based sports betting insights. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. The Buffalo Bills offense, averaging 10.4 points per game, is comically bad. The team hasn't scored more than 13 points in a game since week three and has managed to score only eight touchdowns this season. Per Football Outsiders, Buffalo has the worst offensive DVOA ever measured through nine games. The Bills' historic offensive ineptitude is why the New York Jets opened as eight-point favorites on Sunday. But here's the thing. Bad offenses are often undervalued, especially after a blowout loss. The Bills fell to the Bears 41-9 last Sunday. Since 2003, teams following a loss of four or more touchdowns that score fewer than 20 points per game like Buffalo, have gone 98-72-5. That's a 58% win rate against the spread in their next game. If the team's an underdog, like the Bills, the ATS win rate improves to 60%. A majority of bets are on the Jets, but the line has moved from Buffalo plus 8 to plus 6.5. When the line moves in the opposite direction of the betting percentages, this is called reverse line movement and is an indication of sharp money. Those wanting to wager on the Bills better act quick as this line continues to decrease. That was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, the quote-unquote two-minute drill. We're going to run through the remaining non-primetime games in two minutes, or as close as we can get to two minutes. The 4-4 four and four Seahawks at the 8-1 and one Rams. Rams favored by 10, a 50.5 over under. The first time in his career that Russell Wilson has been a double-digit dog. If he's going to cover, he's going to need help from his receivers. Since week three, David Moore had, had the bad drop last week, but leads Seattle in air yards market share with a 29% share. And he's tied for the team lead in target share as well since week three at 17%. He's played 75% of the snaps over the last two weeks. And the Rams have allowed the most touchdowns and the fifth most yards to wide receivers over the past five weeks. 
The six and two Chargers at the one and seven Raiders. The Chargers favored by 10, a 49.5 point over under is a rematch of the 26 to 10 home victory in week five for the Chargers. Melvin Gordon played a season high 88% of the snaps last week, has 100 yards and or a touchdown in every game, Oakland allowing 168 total yards to running backs along with one and a quarter touchdowns per game. And I'll give you a bonus, John Gruden against Vance Joseph and Hugh Jackson, the least profitable coach against the spread and the former least profitable coach against the spread before he got fired. (laughs) He's 2-0 against the spread, 1-1 straight up, and his team has a plus two point differential. In his other six games, 0-6, 0-6 against the spread, minus 113. I can't believe I'm going to say this. 18% of the tickets, 53% of the money is on the Raiders in that game. The 5-3 and three Redskins at the 3-5 and five Buccaneers. Buccaneers favored by three, a 51.5 over under. This game opened at a pick uh, These are two of the most injured teams in the league facing off. Mike Evans got milk cartoned last week by Carolina, James Bradbury, but Carolina is actually number two in DVOA versus number one wide receivers. Washington, on the other hand, ranks 18th, and their 96.9 schedule adjusted yards allowed per game to number one wideouts are most in the league per football outsiders. So I recommended OBJ, Julio against these Redskins in our fantasylabs.com premium main slate DFS breakdown, and it looks like I will be Recommending Evans this week against the Redskins as well. 52% of the tickets, 84% of the money is on the Bucks in that game. The 3-5 and five Jags at the 3-5 and five Colts. The Colts favored by 3, a 46.5 over under. The Jags have lost four games in a row. The Colts have won two straight and could legit win their next four. Yeah, I mean, the only real story in this game is it's a revenge game for Dante Moncrief. I mean, obviously. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> but seriously, Moncrief actually leads Jacksonville in target share at 18%. Air yard share by a mile at 32%, and at inside the 10 target share at 25%. He's been the only receiver that's kind of maintained a consistent role now that Keelan Cole has kind of been, I don't know if he's been demoted, but he, he, he didn't play more than, uh, he didn't hit 30% of the snaps last week. The two and seven Bills at the three and six Jets. Jets favored by six and a half, a 36.5 over under. The Bills have lost four straight games, but they might get Josh Allen back. Not sure about that yet. The Jets have lost three straight and are expected to be without Sam Darnold. So my favorite thing about this game is going to be to watch Terrell Pryor. Pryor played 82% of the snaps in his first game as a Bill, got five targets and a carry. Among wide receivers with 20 or more targets this season, Pryor ranks 14th in the league in yards per route run. That's ahead of guys like Odell Beckham, Josh Gordon, Will Fuller, Devontae Adams, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Finally, the 7-2 and two Patriots at the 4-4 four and four Titans. Patriots favored by 6.5, a 46.5 over under. The Pats have won six straight after their 1-2 and two start. They are the number one team in the Action Network Power Rankings. The Titans are yet to score more than 28 points this year. Another uh, AFC South revenge game, this time Deion Lewis. After offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur mentioned Lewis would be more involved than Derrick Henry going forward prior to the game against the Cowboys, Lewis outsnapped Henry by a rate of 84% to 20% in a game that Tennessee uh, actually had positive game script and, and led throughout most of the game, which was by far the biggest discrepancy between the two in terms of snap rate on the season. At 4,600 on DraftKings, Lewis has a top projected plus minus among all running backs, and he also has a top five projected plus minus even on FanDuel despite it being 0.5 PPR. All right, and you also have the Malcolm Butler and uh, head coach Mike Vrabel revenge game as well. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to there. Coming up is our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy. 
right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks and action Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report. NFL Week 10, we are traveling to Nashville down to the Music City for a showdown between the 7-2 Patriots and the 4-4 Tennessee Titans. Titans came off an impressive win and cover last week in Dallas, but yet they are still getting no public love from recreational bettors. The Mighty Patriots, once again, are a huge public favorite. This game opened on the key number of 7, the Patriots listed as a 7-point road favorite. Currently, 81% of spread bets are laying the points on the road with Brady and Belichick. However, we've seen some big wise guy action on the Tennessee Titans. This game opened at 7 and Sharps immediately got down hard on Tennessee Titans on the key number of 7. The interesting thing here is that this overload of Sharp action caused this line to fall down to 6.5. And And also we've seen that the juice on the 6.5 is actually juiced up on the Titans side. So at Pinnacle... And Bookmaker, the juice is currently Titans plus six and a half, minus 115. This lets you know that the liability is still on the Titans side, even though uh, the line has fallen half point in their favor. Looks like the next move may even be down to six. Now that it's off the key number of seven, we haven't seen any moves on Titans six and a half. So really got to get the key number of seven in this one. Uh, Another interesting point here, Titans are only getting 19% of spread bets. Uh, As a result, they would be a classic contrarian play. They would fit the Sports Insights 80-20 rule. Since 2005, teams getting 20% or less spread bets are 55% ATS. Uh, So far this season, teams getting less than 30% of spread bets are 61% ATS. So as always, the public will be pounding the Patriots, expecting an easy cover with Brady and Belichick. But the wise guys are buying low on the Titans getting seven points at home. Okay, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, each week on the Action Network. Chris, let's talk some strategy. Let's look at the highest owned players in the Fantasy Labs models. Let's think about who we would roster, who we might pivot away from, and some of the guys we might want to pivot to. And let's start at the quarterback position. The guy that right now has the highest ownership projection in our models is Jared Goff. At home, a big favorite going against the divisional rival Seattle Seahawks. What are you doing with Goff? You know, back at home, I love Goff. He's always in a smash spot. But on DraftKings, Patrick Mahomes is just priced so affordably that I I don't think you really want to go away from him when you don't have to. On FanDuel, he's up at 9,800. So I think that it's fair to kind of think about other options there. Although I think, you know, FanDuel, they always allow you to kind of get in an extra stud compared to DraftKings. So you can certainly do it on either site, but especially on DraftKings, I'm leaning toward going with Mahomes. Goff is in a better spot on FanDuel. And, you know, the, the Seahawks, it's interesting. You know, I think if, you, if you're stacking, if you're using Todd Gurley, it's also another reason to use Goff in cash games because then you're just kind of stacking up that whole entire Rams offense. Now, obviously, you can also do that with Kareem Hunt and Patrick Mahomes, but that's a tactic that I use quite a bit in cash games when there's kind of an offense in a smash spot. Uh, I would I would lean Chiefs in terms of a smash spot just because the Seahawks have been pretty good on defense this year to kind of, I think, most people's surprise. They are still top five in DVOA, and they're number five overall against the pass. So if I had to kind of pick between, you know, the, the Chiefs or the Rams this week, I would still go with, with the Chiefs. But Jared Goff has very, very positive home splits. All right. What about Aaron Rodgers going against the Miami Dolphins? You know, that's an interesting one for me. I think, you know, his price is kind of on DraftKings at 6400 That's a really good price for him. But 
in cash games at 800 less than Mahomes, uh, I still kind of lean Mahomes or, you know, kind of go to Goff. I, the problem with this game to me is that I just don't really have a, a great handle on how I think it's going to play out. With the big spread, I could see it kind of being one of those games like the Buffalo game where the Packers win handily 22 nothing. They they ran the ball and that was that. And so because Aaron Rodgers isn't opposing a quarterback like a Jared Goff that he has or, or Tom Brady last week, I don't think his outlook as far as um, having, you know, one of those Aaron Rodgers 400-yard, three-touchdown games is quite as high as it would be in a game with a team that's expected to be more competitive. I actually think that if you do think either the Dolphins can stay closer or that this is going to be one of those games, I think what you do is you take advantage of those opposing quarterback correlations and you pivot to Brock Osweiler, who's going to be really low-owned and is super cheap. Okay, uh, let's talk about the beard. Fitzpatrick, I, I think he's in a really interesting spot. He's probably, I mean, he's popping in some of our Fantasy Labs models. Personally, I just love, like, I like watching him play. Like, I like that offense. Uh, it's dynamic. He's old, and he, he, like, he knows he's on his last opportunity. So he's just, like, airing the ball all over the place. That in no way is any reason to roster him in DFS. But, like, it's fun to roster him, and uh, he's in a good spot. What are your thoughts about him this week? I mean, honestly, to me, Ryan, like, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the number two quarterback in yeah. fantasy to me. Like, like, it's Patrick Mahomes and it's Ryan. Like, there's no quarterback I feel more confident on a week-to-week basis will put up numbers outside of Patrick Mahomes, including Jared Goff, including Breeze, including Bray Rodgers, all those guys, Cam Newton included, than this guy Ryan Fitzpatrick. The, the question is, yeah. he, is he going to get benched? Right, <laughs> right. Hey, that, that's the only thing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so that's really the only reason that – I, I wouldn't, and we, I, we talked about this last week. It was, you know, it's the only reason that I wouldn't say, hey, go ahead and lock him in cash games. It's because there's always that chance that he gets benched. And if you just look at the Tampa Bay quarterbacks and the numbers that they put up together, I mean, every game, it's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards and touchdowns. Right. And they don't run for touchdowns ever. Right. And if they do, it's the quarterback. So, I mean, he's the number one tournament play because he's cheaper than Patrick Mahomes. So yeah. that's the way I'm approaching him. Number one tournament play. Let's not use him in cash. I mean, it's crazy because like even if he gets benched, I mean, he could be he could throw for like two hundred and three scores. It's just like, <laughs> but like, right. yeah, I'd say you know lay off in cash. But he's the yeah. number one tournament play as long as he's starting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's golf for Mahomes in cash, Fitzpatrick in GPPs. One more quarterback to mention: Philip Rivers in a really good spot going against just that the hapless defense of the Raiders. Uh, what are you doing with him? Yeah, so when I was doing rankings, I you know I kind of saw like Rivers wasn't popping up as high as I thought he would going against the Raiders, and then I started looking into it, and I realized um, I had him projected for a pretty low amount of pass attempts, and that's because he hasn't cleared thirty attempts in his last four games. He's only had more than thirty twice all season. One of those was against the Chiefs, threw fifty-one times. He's just not throwing a high volume of pass attempts, and so because the league has kind of trended towards a scoring explosion you're seeing more games where you know lesser quarterbacks are attempting more passes and therefore putting up bigger numbers just because the other team is doing the same thing and so uh, I think Rivers I don't think he's safe enough for cash especially because he doesn't run at all but I I think he is a great tournament play because that Raiders defense is obviously checked out Uh, okay let's transition to running backs Todd Gurley Seattle most expensive player on the slate, highest ownership. By the way, subscribers can find our rankings each week at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. He, of course, is the highest ranked player in those rankings. What are you doing with Gurley? So I think this week, uh, depending on how you're building your lineup, I think is it's another one of those weeks where you, there's enough 
on the slate that you could go away from him if you don't want to pay all the way up. I think Melvin Gordon in particular is in just a great spot. I mean, the the player that benefits the most from the Chargers playing uh, this really balanced offensive game plan is Gordon. I mentioned the 88% snap rate last week. Um, he's got 100 yards and or a touchdown in every game, over 120 yards per game from scrimmage. Raiders mentioned getting blasted by running backs. So I think Gordon's an option, obviously. Kareem Hunt is an option. And then Kamara as well. I mean, I talked about the Bengals and they their struggles tackling. You mentioned that they're going to be without linebackers. So there's definitely a lot of options to kind of go away from Gurley in this spot against Seattle, who tends to play to tends to play him tough for the most part. I don't ever really feel like not playing Gurley, but I don't, I don't think he's like a oh my god, I have to have to jam him in with some of the other stud backs in good positions on the slate. Okay, let's look at the other side of the Rams Seahawks game. Mm-hmm. Mike Davis is someone who potentially could be popular just depending on what happens with Chris Carson. Right now, we're expecting him to be out, which would give the lion's share, if not like the entire share of the workload to Mike Davis there. Uh, and I believe it was in week four when he filled in for Chris Carson and had a, a, a pretty big game going over 100 yards, had two touchdowns. What are your thoughts on Davis? And let's assume it's in this context of Chris Carson not playing. I, I love Davis, actually. I thought, uh, I think, you know, just from watching him, I think he's a really good player. He always tends to pop on film. I thought the same thing last year, even though he was behind that miserable offensive line so he didn't really get the numbers but he had kind of a run where he was Seattle's best option of of all those failed guys last year and then this year he's kind of kind of forced his way into a role really I mean I think they start even though they weren't as high maybe Pete Carroll anyway wasn't as high on Rashad Penny as the front office I think they fully intended to kind of go forward with this like 1A 1B split of Carson and Rashad Penny and Mike Davis kind of threw a wrench into those plans and I think that's for good reason I think Um, He's probably going to continue to be a factor even when Carson comes back. But if Carson's out, I think you definitely want to uh, want to fire Davis up in all formats. I mean, the Rams, we know Wade Phillips likes to kind of concede the run at times instead of giving up the pass. And that's kind of borne out in their numbers this year. Again, they're 12th in pass defense DVOA, but 24th in run defense DVOA. So I really will. And, And let's not forget Seattle is the most run heavy team in the league and so I I do think you'll see Penny like I don't think Penny will be confined to the bench but I do also think that you could have just like Carson has had I think a 30 carry game or two um, I think you could see Davis put the ball in his stomach 30 plus times in this game if Carson is out yeah Uh, one guy we mentioned earlier Deion Lewis in the revenge game against the New England Patriots. We are projecting him to be pretty highly owned, uh, which makes sense. If he has negative game script, uh, he will be a guy who has the opportunity to get a lot of targets. If there's positive game script, that's fine for him because he's out snapping and out touching Derrick Henry anyway. So a a good uh, kind of all around spot for him. What are you doing with him? You know, he's kind of in this weird spot where I think, you know, in cash games, if on on DraftKings, I think you definitely, I think you consider him on both spots just because of that snap rate at this point. I mean, I I remember doing the the podcast last year and just talking to to my dude TJ Hernandez about the fact that like Deion Lewis looked like the best player on the field for the New England Patriots down the stretch last year. And when he was given a a heavy workload and now it kind of looks like the Titans have kind of figured out that same thing about Deion Lewis that like, Hey, you know, we got Derrick Henry. He's this highly drafted guy. He, we know he can bang. He's even got some explosiveness to him. He can, but like at the end of the day, 
Like the offense looks stuck in the mud when Deion, with Derrick Henry's out there. Deion Lewis is just kind of, he's a difference maker. So I think it continues. Don't love the ownership for tournaments. I think that's where you, you kind of pivot away because, I mean, there's just a, a wide range of outcomes with Lewis, even considering all that. I mean, it's not like he's guaranteed for a touchdown or really anything for, for sure. We also know that Bill Belichick, you know, has his ways and who knows what could end up happening. Strange things happen in Patriots games. So I think in tournaments, there's a lot of leverage to just just going in a, in a different direction. I feel a lot more confident about Davis in tournaments if Carson is out, just because I think the workload will just be so humongous. I think Seattle's committed to the run. I think that, you know, even if they start passing the ball, I think Davis will get work in the passing game as well. It's a, it's a higher projected over under. So I, I like Davis over Lewis this week. All right, one more guy to talk about here at the running back position, David Johnson coming off of the bye in that uh, Byron Leftwich coordinated offense. What are your thoughts on him? I love David Johnson this week. I mean, you're going against the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs. They rank number 32 dead last in run defense, DVOA. You have a guy in David Johnson who, you know, a new offensive coordinator essentially knew that one of the reasons he even has a job is because the last offensive coordinator underused David Johnson. Now they're coming on off of a buy. I mean, I just think that you have to keep kind of using your common sense in these situations and just saying, you know, at some point, David Johnson is going to, he's going to get fed and he's going to have his like 30 touch explosion, David Johnson game. Even when he, even though he hasn't been doing that, he's the floor has been, has been decent for the most part. So I, I like David Johnson as a cash play. Yeah. Uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, there was one prop at uh, an online sports book, actually a couple of props on David Johnson, but like, uh, would he actually have a hundred yard rushing game this season? It's something like that. That was one of the props there. So uh, who knows, maybe it will work out for you the one week that he hits it. He will be in your lineup. Let's talk about the wide receivers, Devonte Adams and Marquez Valdez Scantling at home going against Miami MVS in particular is intriguing giving that uh, Geronimo Allison is now on IR. So MVS is locked in as a starter and not just a starter. Like he really at that point might be the number two receiver within that offense. Perhaps he's overtaken Randall Cobb. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Valda Scantling is like a guy who he just he just flashes every week. So I think he's uh it depends on how roster construction shakes out because if he's going if he ends up being the chalkiest cheap receiver, wide receivers are always kind of hard to predict. You mentioned Randall Cobb, who, you know, even though Valda Scantling has been a little bit more productive, Cobb been in and out of the lineup, uh, Cobb still has a 20% target share in that offense. That is still uh, number two on the team. I also think that when you're going up against the Dolphins, I'm always looking at these you know, like backs and tight ends because the Dolphins tend to struggle to cover those positions just given some of their personnel. So I actually think in this game in particular, it's also a good spot for Jimmy Graham. So kind of a lot of moving pieces where it's like, I'm not sold on Valdez Scantling, like being that like obvious smash. Oh my God, like he's the number two guy in the Packers. Um, and, and that means he's going to, you know, be a, he's like a lock. But um, if it makes sense from a roster construction standpoint, I don't think it's like the worst thing because just because he has a ton of upside and all receivers are unpredictable anyway. So it's not like you're giving up a, a huge floor by playing Valdez Scantling anyway. All right, let's talk about the Cincinnati New Orleans game. Michael Thomas, Tyler Boyd, two guys we are projecting for pretty high ownership. How are you approaching them? So I, I think this is, I mean, because of Thomas, because Thomas, you know, priced himself up with that monster end of the game last week, not a week where I want to use him necessarily, uh, you know, in this game I mentioned that, you know, I'm kind of feeling like this game may go under, I really like Kamara's matchup. So I think that's the player that's top of the list for me to target, especially in cash games and tournaments, obviously, you know, 
Michael Thomas liable to go off any given week. Although I, I don't think this is – it doesn't to me look like the smash spot of smash spots. Tyra Boyd, he scares me a little bit because from just like a numbers target, you know, projection perspective, all that, he should just smash. I mean, there's no 40% of the air yards are missing. Quarter of the targets are missing with A.J. Green being out. And the Saints are a good run defending team. But the one, the one thing I worry about is that it's kind of like a, maybe a similar situation to, to what would happen in, in a place like Detroit when Golden Tate's out. But it's like now the defense – they're treating Boyd as the number one. Like they have all week to kind of prepare and double, triple, whatever they want to do with Boyd. And so we haven't really seen him in this spot ever yet. Like this is, he's never really been the number one guy before. So um, that's the only thing that kind of scares me a little bit into thinking like probably not the safest chalk. So in tournaments, I definitely think you want to find ways. And of course it's receiver. So there's many ways to, to go around him. But yeah, I don't think he's like a cash game lock either uh because i think there's a possibility that new orleans could just sell out to shut him down and make cincinnati beat them with other options who are few and far between at this point all right keenan allen at the oakland raiders i like it i would like it a little bit more if phil rivers was attempting more than 30 passes a game Uh, i think that also makes him a little bit uh a little bit shaky in cash games i think this like as as most weeks are I think you want to try to lock in that production at, at running back, just a higher floor. And then at receiver, there are guys, like, for example, Jarvis Landry sitting here at 6,200 on DK, 6,400 on FanDuel. He's averaging 11.1 targets per game. He has five or more catches and or a touchdown in eight of his nine games. He's going to be in a high total game. Like, there are receivers that you can kind of get at these mid-tier price ranges that have similar kind of floor ceiling combinations to two guys that are a little higher priced that are just a little more, a little more trendy. So I think that's the, the roster construction I'll end up favoring this week, just because I don't feel great about the possibility of, of boy being like the, the focal point of the defense. All right. I don't think we can move on from wide receivers until we've given like the obligatory mention to the, uh, the three Rams receivers there. You have Robert Woods, Brandon cooks, Cooper cup thoughts on those three guys. These guys are kind of smash spots every week. I think every week you want to play if you're put if you play tournaments, if you play multiple lineups, you want to stack Jared Goff with one, if not two, of these guys, uh, if not with Gurley as well. And so, you know, there's there's really nothing more to say. I mean, I think Cup is the guy that you want to play in cash games because he's always been that consistent guy in terms of not only catching the passes, but getting the red zone targets. That's really important for him. And then Cooks and Woods, because Cup is back, make for better tournament plays. Woods looks like he has the lowest projected ownership. You know, that's obviously would, would be the best tournament play if that if that's actually true. But uh, I think Cup is the guy you want to play in cash games. All right, let's talk about tight ends quickly because it's a disgusting position outside of Travis Kelsey versus Arizona. But I mean, there are other guys. There's Burton. There's Reed. There's Njoku. How are you addressing this position? I mean, I don't really know what to do. Jeff Hireman is uh, going by this week. It, it, it is tough. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny when it's like, I don't know what to do because Jeff Hireman is on by. <laughs> if I had told you when the season started that uh, week 10, what you're going to do with the tight end position was going to hinge on whether or not Hireman was on by or not on by, you would not have believed me. Uh, it, yeah, it's. Uh, it's tough, but I, you know, I do think, you know, the reason we're saying it's tough is because tight end being the volatile position that it is, uh, there's been some busts over these past few weeks. And what that has done is that has lowered the prices. And so 
I think you just take advantage of that. I mean, on DraftKings, Trey Burton sitting here at 3,900. Detroit is uh, number 30 in DVOA versus tight ends. Uh, maybe people won't be quite as enthusiastic about Burton if Allen Robinson comes back, especially with uh, Anthony Miller also getting a lot of love. But um, I, I think Burton's still in a really good spot to to produce. I think he's a high upside play pretty much every week that he plays. I mean, let's not forget, he's pretty much a strictly receiver, even though his, he's, he goes as a tight end by name. And then uh, on FanDuel, you have a couple of guys also priced down. Jordan Reed at 5,200, if he suits up, would be in a good spot. Tampa Bay ranked number 29 in DVOA versus tight ends. And then David Njoku, uh, you know, in Baker Mayfield, six starts, five times over 50 yards, six time goose egg. I mean, it sucks when you hit the goose egg, but those are still really good odds. Uh, and I think in this game against Atlanta, Deion Jones still going to be out for one more week over under above 50. Uh, I think it's another good spot for Njoku as well. So I think you just kind of take advantage of those of those guys in cash games. And then in tournaments, you just either go with Kelsey or you just try to find somebody lower owned because a lot of the tight ends have pretty, pretty similar outlooks. I mentioned Jimmy Graham. I kind of like Jimmy Graham as a tournament play. I'm going against Miami. Your Njoku description was basically like Russian roulette. It was yeah. like five out of six plus yards. The sixth time, dead. I like my odds of not dying until I <laughs> yeah. die. Yeah. Uh, okay. We are going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment, previewing Sunday Night Football. But first, let's kick it to Ian Harditz, who runs through the key Week 10 coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. Week 10 has seven key wide receiver cornerback shadow matchups. First is Julio Jones versus Browns cornerback Denzel Ward. The 2018 draft's number four overall pick is PFS number 12 overall corner, but Julio has a four-inch height advantage and 40-pound weight advantage and is capable of winning any matchup anyway. Allen Robinson is expecting to play this week after having this groin injury against Lions cornerback Darius Slay. Last year's first-team All-Pro cornerback is more than capable of winning this matchup. A-Rob's averaging career-low 11.4 yards per reception this season. Corey Davis has another tough matchup against Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore, who has allowed fewer than 75 total receiving yards in six of his seven shadow matchups this year. Mike Evans will face off against Redskins cornerback Josh Norman, who has allowed over 100 yards to each of Julio Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. in his last two shadow matchups. Robbie Anderson, if he plays through his ankle injury, will face off against Bills cornerback Tredavious White. Anderson will benefit from Josh McCown under center. It's a tough matchup, but Anderson did roast White for a 30-yard touchdown during their meetings last season. T.Y. Hilton is expected to be shadowed by Jaguars cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Last season, Hilton caught five passes for 78 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets in two games under Ramsey's shadow. Devontae Adams should see plenty of Dolphins cornerback Xavier Howard, who has four interceptions this season, but has allowed three touchdowns in coverage, and DeAndre Hopkins showed that he's not a matchup we should fear. Anyway, Aaron Rodgers' number one wide receiver is always 100% matchup proof. My number one favorite matchup of the week is Keenan Allen versus the Raiders. He's only had one touchdown this year, but Rivers is the only quarterback with multiple touchdowns in every game, so expecting some positive regression in the second half, much like we saw in 2017. Keenan's facing the Raiders' bottom two defense and overall and pass DVOA. They're susceptible in the slot and on the outside, and Keenan has caught at least five passes and five consecutive matchups against the Raiders. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, oh man, this game. The three and five Cowboys at the four and four Eagles. I can't believe this is a Sunday night football game. They need to flex us something better. Eagles favored by seven, a 43-point over-under. The spread is up from six. The total is down from 43 and a half. 
the Cowboys are coming off a disheartening Monday night football loss to the Titans, and they will likely be without linebacker Sean Lee. The Eagles are coming off the bye. They have just added Cowboys killer Golden Tate, who now will play the Cowboys three times this year, and they are also expecting to get back right tackle Lane Johnson. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, so Cowboy killer Golden Tate, I think it sets up well for him. Dallas is number 28 in DVOA on passes over the middle. Zach Ertz, that obviously also benefits Dallas' 25th versus the tight end. And they're 30th in DVOA versus short passes as well. So I think Ertz, Tate, even Aguilar. I mean, this sets up well for the Philadelphia receivers to have a good game. By the way, Carson Wentz sitting around here with a 13-2 to touchdown interception ratio, a 109.6 passer rating. I don't think anyone's really talking about this because he kind of missed a couple games to start the year, but he's picking up right back where he left off. Now he gets another weapon in Golden Tate. I think that this is going to be a a signature game for Philly. They haven't really had a game where they've kind of smashed yet. They had that one against the Giants, but I mean, that's like, come on. I think they'll get it done here. I don't like that the spread is moving up. I think there was a lot more value with, with this number at six, six and a half. Then at seven, but I'm still taking it at seven. And the reason is Jason Garrett has just not done a good job of preparing this team in general, really. I mean, they're always kind of uh, lacking when it comes to the details or certain strategic things that they should probably be employing, but especially when he's on a short week. So in his career, the Cowboys under Jason Garrett are two, 14 and one against the spread on a short week. <laughs> I mean, he's essentially the Vance Joseph. He's a Vance Joseph of short weeks. This is, uh, this is horrible. I mean, some of that obviously is impacted by uh, the Thanksgiving game. But uh, yeah. yeah, this, it, it's, I mean, it, short, it, doesn't, short it doesn't speak well. <laughs> it doesn't speak well for him. For me, this is easily um, going with Philly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Everything you said, it seems like this will be one of those vintage games where uh, the Cowboys really get it handed to them my question i think almost like the bigger question is um oh, and my dog is barking she agrees with me that uh this is a bad game for the cowboys does jason garrett get fired after this game let's imagine a world in which the eagles win by let's say 20 points does garrett finally lose his job after this game i don't think so but i think i think jerry jones has kind of been He's kind of been adamant that he's not going to do that in the middle of the season. I think there's just going to be – I think the chatter will just get louder. But the bottom line is this is this is a good Eagles team that maybe um, hasn't quite hit its stride yet. I don't think – you know, if you get blown out by the Eagles in this spot, as bad as it sounds coming off of that, that loss against Tennessee, which is really the game you had to have, I don't think it reflects as poorly on Garrett just because I think this is a quality, a quality football team. So I don't think he gets fired uh, – after this game, I think you're just going to kind of keep on seeing more of the same. I think they'll probably continue to force feed Amari Cooper the ball. He had 25% of the targets, 31% of the air yards in his first game. And Philly, even though they're up to number seven in DVOA versus number one wideouts, they have been a lot better. They're still giving up the most scheduled, uh, second most schedule adjusted yards to number ones in the league at 93.9. So uh, I think they're just going to do that. And, you know, Garrett's going to clap a little bit. They'll probably get blown out. And, uh, you know, same shit, different day. Yeah, uh, that's Sunday Night Football. So much for that. Chris, you're doing the Monday Night Game with Ian on our next show. Do you have any final thoughts? Let's get this money. That is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. Mm-hmm.